Welcome to Film Studies Bling Bling. This is the first episode. Each episode consists of a short interview with my Bling of the Month, a news section and the Dear Diary chapter. My first interview partner, my first Bling of the Month, is Barbara Flückiger. We talked about her ERC project Film Color. The news is about the book Fiction and Imagination in Early Cinema and an award that might be interesting for scholars conducting production studies. And in my diary, I tell you something about two pieces of advice that were given to me regarding the writing of applications for research funding. I found them very helpful. Let's start with the bling of the month. I reached Barbara Flückiger a few weeks ago via Skype when she was working somewhere in the United States. To be honest, I was a bit nervous because I really admire Barbara. She's a brilliant and extremely productive researcher. She has a deep, deep knowledge of film theory, film history and production practice. And she is a genius when it comes to making her work visible and accessible. Maybe you can hear my nervousness a little. Hi, Barbara. Thank you for taking the time for me. Um, first, I'd like to introduce you to the listeners. Uh, what I find really remarkable about you is that you're originally from the film industry. You began your career as a film critique before switching to the technical side of film production, becoming a sound designer working with internationally respected directors. Only after that phase, you embarked on an academic career. You studied German language and literature, film studies, philosophy, journalism at the University of Zurich and the Freie Universität of Berlin. And as a former sound designer, you completed your doctorate on sound design in American mainstream film in 1999. This was followed by various teaching positions, and you can continue to expand your research in the direction of visual effects. So in 2007, you completed your habilitation at the Freie Universität of Berlin with a thesis on visual effects. And since 2007, you are professor at the Department of Film Studies at the University of Zurich. Um, of course, further research interests have been added. For instance, you have dealt with the effects of the digital digitalization of archive films on the perception of film history and the emotional impact of film shooting procedures on the cinema audience. And in 2011, as far as I know, you received a grant to conduct research at the Harvard University on historical film color processes. So in Harvard, one can say your journey into the myriad aspects of film color started. Um, and an outstanding milestone on that journey was the European Research Council awarding the prestigious advanced grant to you for your research project, Film Colors, Bridging the Gap Between Technology and Aesthetics. I mean, the EU decided to support your project with a grant of 2.9 million euro for five years from 2015 till now, 2020. I would say, well, it's time for a review. What do you think? <laughs> Um, I just in a, in a few words, what is the ERC project about? The ERC project is about, uh, as, as the, the subtitle says, about connecting the aesthetics to the technological foundation. So we have a truly interdisciplinary uh, research design where we investigate film colors both from a physical, technical perspective, but also we did an analysis on more than 400 films uh, from, nine, from 1895 to 1995 uh, to also investigate the aesthetics of color films in a systematic fashion. 
Wow. So, I mean, it's a really huge um, research project. What was the absolute highlight of the ERC project for you until now? Well, uh, what I forget, forgot to say is that we also have um, a workflow for the digitization of archival film. Uh, so we set up um, a multispectral scanning device. And I think this is one of the highlights, I would say, because this is also um, supported by an additional grant from the ERC, a proof of concept grant to devise a new workflow for the digitization based on a versatile and multispectral scanning. Uh, then the other highlight, I would say, is uh, a software for the aesthetic analysis of films uh, that is connected to a platform where you then can access and download uh, a, a huge amount of visualizations and uh, evaluations of all these color films that we analyzed within the project. And I mean, such a project um, is, as I said, quite huge and all these technological aspects you have in, in your research project, I can imagine that this is quite a, a management task or, or challenge. So what was the biggest challenge in this ERC project for you as the head of the project? Uh, the biggest challenge is, of course, to connect all these various team members with different types of backgrounds uh, and also to set up uh, a more collaborative uh, workflow within a research project. Uh, I think this is still rather the exception than the rule in, in the humanities that you have uh, so many team members for, from so many backgrounds and that everyone is collaborating in a kind of a network. Uh, and for myself personally, one of the challenges was, of course, to keep track of everything. Uh, but also then on the negative side, I would say um, the huge workload that comes with the administration of such a project. So you're really a project manager at the same time, not only the, the researcher. Yeah. Well, at the end of the day, a lot of management decisions come to my table and have to be solved somehow. Yes. Mm. And I think there might be some management uh, tasks also to fulfill, according to a platform you mentioned already, the timeline of historical film colors. Um, can you briefly explain what this platform or, or database is about and how will it continue after the completion of the ERC project? The timeline of historical film colors is a comprehensive database or or interactive platform for the discussion and display of historical color film technologies. Uh, it includes right now more than 20,000 photographs of historical film prints, color film prints from various archives around the world, from the United States, uh, Europe and Japan. It also contains a lot of primary and secondary sources, also selected analysis, uh, downloads of papers. It's really aiming at giving um, the viewers or the users uh, comprehensive access to all questions related to historical film colors. And right now, this platform is easy to sustain because um, I got the means to uh, sustain it for the next um, three years until my retirement in 2020. 23 and from then on I have to find uh, additional means or additional resources to keep oh. it in place. 
I cross my fingers for that. Um, the timeline is really, really impressive. But also very impressive is what your team and yourself um, uh, published during the last years. I mean, an amount of articles and books came out during the last years. Is there a publication that you can especially recommend maybe as a sort of intellectual appetizer for newbies in the field of film color research? Yes, of course. Uh, we just uh, had an exhibition at the Photo Museum Winter Tour that came out also uh, of my research projects because I should have I should mention that there is not just the ERC project. I have two additional project uh, two additional projects funded by the Swiss National Science Foundation. One is uh, for the cultural context of uh, historical film color processes, and the other one is for color films in animation and uh, digital production. That is uh, one that started this year or in 2019, to be pre precise. And out of this came this exhibition at the Photo Museum in connection with film programs, both of which were, uh, were supported by a grant from the Swiss National Science Foundation for uh, scientific communication. And I think it was a huge... Um, success, I would say. It was really an amazing um, exhibition curated by Nadine Wittelsbach and Eva Hilscher. Out of this uh, came then the book Color Mania, recently published by Lars Müller Publishers. Uh, there are two editions, one in German and one in English, and both of them are stunningly illustrated with <laughs> more than 100 illustrations, photographs of historical film prints, in very high quality. Our aim was to address uh, a broad audience, not just of film scholars, but also laypersons interested in the topic and archivists and whoever has some kind of connection to uh, to the to the topics of film colors, but also colors in photography. I would say Colormania is really a book to fall in love with film color and film color research. Um, <laughs> as I saw on a social media platform, you're a part of the organizational team of the fifth international conference, Color and Film, which will take place in London in March. A particular focus of the conference will be on the results of the ERC Film Color Research Project and the other project you described. Um, would you like to promote the conference here a little bit? Certainly, uh, the conference is the fifth edition uh, of a collaboration that is in place with uh, the Color Group Great Britain, the HTV in Berlin, the Hochschule für Technik und Wirtschaft in Berlin, uh, with my two colleagues Elsa Tancheva Birch and Uli Rüdel. And this time again, as, so, as also two years ago, we have a workshop where we present results from our research projects. Of course, each of the PhD candidates are presenting uh, outcomes of their research. Uh, and then we also have one block where we present uh, the multispectral scanning and the, the new workflow that we devised for the digitization of uh, film colors. So there are, uh, this is two half-day workshops that are part of the overall conference. As keynote speakers, we are very happy that uh, Paolo Gergusai confirmed his participation and also Charles Poynton, all of which is going to take place in London from March 11 to 13. Well, and beside the conference, what is 
currently on your agenda for 2020? Are you writing the next proposal for a new research project? <laughs> uh, actually, on my on my plans or on my schedule is a conference diet for next year because <laughs> I for 2020 because I gave so many talks and attended so many conferences in 2019 uh, that I feel that I have to focus a little bit more on writing and. Also, there are a lot of corporations in the pipeline for for new projects. One of the biggest challenge uh, that I did not mention so far is the long-term sustainability of the research results. Um, as I mentioned, we have this multispectral scanner and we have the film color analysis software and platform, both of which are called Vion, by the way. Uh, it's not the timeline of historical film colors, it's connected to the timeline of historical film colors. Uh, and it's extremely um, demanding and difficult to sustain both of these outcomes, despite the fact that both of them turned out really, really well. I mean, frankly, my expectations were exceeded by both. Um, so uh, the collaborations aim at trying to connect these outcomes to new groups or to other research groups uh, to spread them and and you know to put them on like a broader foundation or to to give them a better a better substantial uh, sustainability in the long term thank you very much barbara and that was it our our little chat our little review on your project um i wish you all the best uh, to you to the conference thank you very much anna louise <laughs> bye 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 if you would like to learn more about barbara's work have a look at the links we have listed for you on our project page I have some news for you. Recently, Bloomsbury has published a book with the title Fiction and Imagination in Early Cinema. The book deals with the question, quote, how a representational medium becomes employed in the production of fiction, unquote. For the author, early cinema is the perfect case study to answer this question, quote, because of its relative youth and the availability of the material surrounding its advent, unquote. As the book explores how contemporary audiences around 1900 thought and talked about films we would nowadays unquestionably label as fiction films, he gives an insight into the perception of early cinema audiences and how categories of fiction and non-fiction have developed. It is of special interest that the author provides a philosophical approach to film history, which is, by the way, the subtitle of the book. The author is Mario Schlugen, I hope that I pronounced the name correctly, who works on the intersection of film studies, philosophy and German studies. As far as I know, he's currently a lecturer in film studies at Queen Mary University of London. He has published two other books beforehand. He is the author of Montage, As Perceptual Experience, Berlin Alexanderplatz, From Dublin to Fassbinder. And he has authored the monograph Noel Carroll on Film, A Philosophy of Art and Popular Culture. Above that, he is in the editorial team of the journal Apparatus, Film, Media and Digital Cultures of Central and Eastern Europe. In one of the next episodes, I will tell you something about that particular journal. The second piece of news might be interesting for scholars from the context of production studies. I read that since 2015, the Initiative Filmkulisse Bayern, the Bavarian Film Location Initiative, has been awarding the Film Location of the Year Prize. 
a jury of experts decides, according to various criteria, whether there is good access to film locations, whether it is easy to obtain film permits, and whether there are local contact persons. As the creators of the initiative say, the prize has had an impact on the whole of Bavaria since its initiation. They emphasize that in the meantime, most regions are improving their infrastructure in the sense of being attractive as a film location and appoint, for instance, contact persons for film productions. This month, the Bavarian Film Location Initiative will award the Film Location of the Year 2019. The jury has nominated three locations, Alpenwelt, Karwendel, Bad Tölz and Passau. The winner will be announced at an award ceremony in Munich on January the 22nd. And now I come to the Dear Diary chapter. For this podcast, I've decided to provide insight into my research project, The Cinematic Face of Cities. But the diary chapter will not only be about scientific questions, methods and results. I have rather chosen to talk as well about all the little steps that are necessary for the realization of a research project and all the detours and misconceptions that are part of a research project. I try to be as honest as possible. Let's see how that works. So what actually stands at the beginning of a postdoc research project? I would say an idea for a topic that you want to pursue or even several topics that you feel, well, well, okay, I would like to work on that for the next years. With a bit of luck, a research funding line that fits the topic comes around the corner. I was lucky as there was a scheme called Small Disciplines High Potential into which my project idea fitted well. And then, of course, the first thing to do is to write a proposal. Writing proposals is daily bread for scholars. But applying for research funding is nevertheless not in our blood. It has to be learned. In the meantime, training courses are available in many scientific contexts. Among others, they teach you how to write an application for research funding. I have attended several such courses, and there were two essential pieces of advice that I have been given. First, read the call for proposal. Second, write not only about your genius, but also about what you're not yet able to do. Okay, read the call for proposal sounds like a silly, silly advice. Of course, you have to read the call to apply. But the devil is in the details. The call for proposal should be taken apart word by word. Each call for proposal has a specific goal expressed explicitly. But quite often there are aspects of the goal which can only be found between the lines. These aspects of the goal should be worked out meticulously by examining the call section by section, sentence by sentence and word by word. What exactly is being thought? Which criteria must be fulfilled? Frequently the call already specifies the dramaturgy of the application you have to write. By tracing the trail of thought behind a call for proposal, you have a good guideline on how the application should be structured. This very precise analysis of the call for proposal also helps to develop a feeling for whether one's own project idea really fits into the funding line. The second piece of advice was, write not only about your genius, but about what you are not yet able to do. I found that very encouraging. I mean, the distribution of research funds is a competition. 
The point of the matter is that only the most substantial research projects and excellent scholars get third-party funding. However, as a PhD candidate or postdoc, you're not yet experienced enough to show ingenious and excellent achievements in all areas. A trainer pointed out to me that, of course, Most funding lines for PhD students and postdocs take this into account and give you the opportunity to qualify with the help of the research fund. With funding lines for doctoral students, this is obvious. But it is also the case with funding lines for postdocs. For an application, it is therefore necessary to know yourself well, not only your own strengths, but also the points in which you want to improve. And these points can or should also be named in the application. It is just as essential to work out which skills are newly acquired through the research funding line as it is to present the skills you already possess. This seemingly simple advice helped me, personally, to gain a new perspective on calls for proposals. I don't just read them in relation to the scientific goals I want to achieve, but ask myself what I want to have gained in terms of theory, methods and other skills at the end of the project. In my application for my project, The Cinematic Face of Cities, for example, my personal claim was to deepen my understanding of discourse and to familiarize myself with questions of science communication. Okay, these are two things that stood at the beginning of the project and were quite important for me. Reading the call for proposal very carefully and having the courage to disclose where I want to go because I'm not there yet. This was Film Studies Bling Bling. Thank you for listening. If you have something you want to report on or a hint about something that should be mentioned in the news section, please write an email to me. I look forward to reporting on your treasures, big and small or hidden and shining diamonds from film studies. Write to us also if you have criticism or other suggestions. In the next episode, we are featuring my colleague Oliver Hanley. He will talk about his work as a film historian, about film heritage and a current film series at Film Museum Potsdam. 